non on target 38%. And they only completed 70% of their passes and they had nearly 200 less than Newcastle. Wow. And they got one corner to 11. Wow. That's a team not in the game much. Tweet of the weekend was Joel Linton plays like Yaya Torre, but with Colo Torre's finishing. <laughs> comfortable, comfortable. Um, oh Notts Forest losing. It's a tough week to be Mike Bresden, isn't it? You've, <laughs> you've staked your entire reputation on a few things and you've been wrong about every single one of them. Tough, it tough is incredible. Stuff. It was incredible to watch Mike in the group chat go, the, go, I'll be surprised if United lose this about Brighton because of Brighton squad. And then watch United lose deservedly. Possibly by more. Um, anyway. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Around Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is Mr. Pod Ross, the Walcott Warbler himself. Good evening. And above him is Mr. David Harris, Mr. David Carmichael Harris. Yeah, I'm still trying to work out that thing on your wall that looks like it's from Hercules. That wasn't there last week, was it? Well, I'm in a different room. Oh, are you? Okay, cool, cool. I just thought that is that is really unobservant of us. I mean, I don't know why I'm making such a big deal out of it, because no one else can fucking see it, but um, <laughs> here we are. Um... Right, let's get a few things out of the way. One, I'm not very well, so you'll have to bear with me this episode, ladies and gentlemen, as I try and walk, work through the haze that is my brain right now. But also, Mike Breslin's a coward. He said to Mike, Mike, are you coming on the podcast? And Mike goes, am I coming on the podcast? Absolutely not. He was like, Man United have lost. Not Forest have lost. Joel Linton didn't score. What am I going to talk about? And at that point... He went outside, two snakes <laughs> leapt out of the bushes at him, bit him on his big toe, venom poisoning out for a week. Um, crazy scenes. Um, Some recovery from venom poisoning back in a week. Yeah, yeah, I tell you what, we chopped off his toe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you get it, like, you get the venom in one part. That's how poison works, right? Mm, I think so. If you're a poisoner, write in and tell us how poison works. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you we won't forward your uh, your correspondence onto the the Met Office. Not the Met Office, the Met Office. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the Met Office. Imagine you're just looking at the weather forecast. Oh, there's a lot of poisoning. Oh, cloudy. Bursting it through the wind. Cloudy with a toe of poison. <laughs> they just get all the way through it and it's just, what's the name of the woman on Middle today who does the weather? Christ. <laughs> Is it still there? No way. Oh, That's a huge pull from you. I feel like the weather thing's like one of those jobs that once you're in, you're in. You know? You're not getting you're not getting pushed out of there when you've got the codes to the Met Office. Because <laughs> they realise they, they let people go. They're going to come out and, they're gonna be, and the people who came out are going to be like, you know what, they're, they're just fucking guessing back there. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't got a clue what they're doing. They're talking about meteorologists. Like, the only meat they're having is in their sandwich. Like, they haven't a clue what's going on in the Met Office. Having a clue. Um, God, what an exciting weekend of football, eh? Look where we've, we've got to. Um, right, all right, let's... Let's try and avoid the obvious topic for for a little bit at least. Let's not start off the year with a with a bad moment. Dave, what performance this weekend surprised you, but in a good way? Um, 
Well, I'd say probably Bournemouth, to be honest. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you could you comment about the other team, but Bournemouth came and, and played pretty well. Um, they're pretty solid at the at the back as well. I mean, they were they had a game plan. It was it was classic Parker, just try and sit behind the ball and counter attack, and and they executed it pretty well. And even though Villa probably had more shots, um, they didn't really get into too much trouble. Uh, and obviously, you know me, I've been scathing upon Bournemouth pre-season, so I was pleasantly surprised that they actually turned up and took three points in the Premier League game. Indeed, indeed. I'm just trying to find the, the exact quote that came out from you a few moments before they started the game. This has to be one of the weakest Prem lineups possibly yes. ever. And I said afterwards. I mean, when you look at it, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong, but there is some kind of beautiful irony in that. I did say, didn't I, after watch them go and win? Or, or, or I replied saying, of course they score three minutes in. It was something like that. Do you think we underestimated Bournemouth? Or do you think they are pony and Villa are just somehow more pony? <laughs> I think there's more chance of that. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I think there's more chance of Villa just being set up totally wrong and that having as much as an effect on the result as Bournemouth being a surprisingly good team. Ethan Moore and Dominic Solanke up top. Dom Solanke, I'll tell you what, there's a player there. God, Kiefer Moore scored. Oh, he did indeed. Um, Going back to Villa, I, I, it's really difficult to talk about Bournemouth because they've played one game, so it's yeah. very hard to make sweeping statements about them. I mean, to be honest, it's very hard to make statements about the first weekend anyway because the performances you see on the first week are usually not the performances you see for the rest of the season. I mean, City lost on the opening weekend last season. So the the only thing that's really important from the first weekend is getting a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything else you can throw out the window. So... Um, I'm not too worried about Bournemouth. That said, having put all that qualifiers in, I'm going to do the classic Will Hunt thing and put a load of qualifiers in and say the opposite. Um, Villa is shit. Yeah. Yep. Really, really bad. And not only do they look shit, they also look like they don't care. And that is that is a dangerous place to be on match week one. Am I being too harsh? Um, I don't think so. I, To be honest... I don't rate Gerard as a manager anyway, but I think he's dropped a bit of a clangor doing what he has with Mings. Like, do you want to tell people what happened with Mings? Yeah, so so Mings has been captain for a good number of years. Basically, he wasn't necessarily club captain. I think Grealish was captain, wasn't he? But yeah. Mings was always one of those players that clearly was quite important in the dressing room. He's always like a vice captain. Uh, obviously, when like Grealish was injured or whatever, Mings was regularly captaining the team. He was captain last season when when he left. Not only has he removed him and made McGinn captain, he didn't actually play him. Uh, maybe it's because he sees Diego Carlos. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sure. Maybe he's left-footed and obviously he doesn't want to play with two left-footed centre-backs. But the thing is, is like, just seen uh, in the last, since I got back from work, Gerard makes a statement basically saying Mings will play for Villa when he proves that he wants to. So it's basically him saying that the guy who was club captain last year is accusing him of not trying. Now, if that's because Mings is like taken aback that he's been dropped as captain, 
You can guarantee that Mings is still a massive character in that dressing room. And Gerard, after half a season being there, or less than half a season, has basically put yeah, just pulled the plug from the captain who is probably he will, in the he, he was asked after the game by the guy I can't remember the guy's name, so sorry, on his on BCWM. He was asked um uh why was Mings not in the starting eleven? And he basically said, "What he said to me along the lines of when Tyrone is back to his best and he looks me in the eye and says he shows that he's ready to play, he'll play. Well, not he'll play, he'll get like opportunities." And then the guy pushed him and said, "Well, is this related to losing the captaincy?" Gerard replies, "It was a little bit of that, but a little bit of other stuff as well." Which I don't know. That doesn't sound convincing for your manager to come out and say that. I also think he's sort of hanging Mings out to dry a little bit, to be honest. I mean, the guy, whatever you can say about his performances, yes, Mings has a mistake in him. I don't think you can doubt his commitment to the club since he's been there. He's obviously club captain last season. You're coming out, hanging, out, hanging him out to dry, basically saying, this guy doesn't actually care as much as it's been perceived for the last four seasons or whatever. It's, it's nonsense. And surely, Gerard saying that in public... Only one draws more attention to it, and even speaking about it in public could make more players side with Mings because he's creating a rift between him and Mings now. That could have been happening behind closed doors, but why the heck would he put that in the public eye? I mean, if it's around like a January transfer window or the end of a season, and someone's saying, I want to leave transfer request, I semi could at least begin to understand it. But why on earth would you be doing this on the first game week of the season? What if a centre-back gets injured next week and he has to play Mings? What what does he do then? He's like, oh, well, he's clearly ready to play now after so-and-so's got injured. And it's, it's just nonsense. I don't know what he's doing at all. He's horrible man-managing. Yeah, I don't like it. But um, I, I was going to ask you, Ross, I... We talked about Arteta doing this last year with, um, I can't remember who it was, was it Aubameyang? Yeah. And the one thing we said was he was absolutely consistent. Like, after you've, if you make, you take this step, which almost always backfires for the manager, almost always, um, you then have so much pressure on yourself results wise. And Gerard doesn't need that, does he? No, two wins from 12. Villa going back to last year obviously there was that stat going around about his uh, comparing him to Neville's Valencia which is like side by side identical Um, yeah yeah, when Arteta did that with Aubameyang I mean we'll find out more this week when the next episode of All or Nothing comes out we won't we won't find out more well, you, you'll get a bit more insight into it. A little bit. You won't find that a lot. No, no. Well, obviously, the clubs are involved with how these things get edited. And stuff, yeah. So yeah, you're not going to find out any. No, I'm not saying you'll find out like details of what happened. No. But you'll get a bit more insight into that situation. Yeah. And yeah, and the, you're right. There were calls then of, you know, when we were struggling to score. People like, well, Aubameyang could be scoring now, or when we didn't have anyone to play up front and whatnot. Um. It's a different situation because clearly there'd been there'd been situations with Aubameyang before, you know, turning up late the games and things. Um, whereas, as Dave said, Ming's captain last year, clearly a committed player on the pitch at least. Um, well, that's the thing. Sorry, Ross, but um, what I'd like to add is if there has been Ming's 
doing stuff behind the scenes. Why did he allow him to be club captain all the way to the end of last season? And why is he not made any of that well, public? Like, I'll set to strip the captaincy. Clearly, there was a, a thing. Well, obviously, you don't know. Well, it's in the press a few times of Aubameyang like not doing yeah. training and, and whatever, which is more than well, reasonable disciplinary reasons. To be fair, I think I think we know why he did it. I think I think we do know why he did it and that thing. And Aubameyang is a, was a serial offender. I do think you you come on to something who've been right in the idea that this is different because look, look if Mike was here, Mike would be giving you both barrels about what he thinks of Tyrone Mings as a footballer. And I agree with him for what it's worth. I don't think he's spectacular. Whether or not he's better than Carlos for the Premier League remains to be seen. You don't know. You just, you just At this point, it's just speculation. The one thing you would say is... I've never... I might have doubted his ability. I've very rarely doubted his commitment to Villa when he's on the pitch. And that is interesting to me that that's been thrown into account to make John McGinn captain. I do the whole this this whole captaincy thing feels to me very much like um, Gerard has wanted to drop Mings, but he can't drop his captain, and instead he's paid he's made McGinn captain because McGinn doesn't feel like a captain to me. No, he doesn't feel right, and I, I get to, I, I do get the sense a bit with play uh, you, you you see it all the time with players who are great and they go on into management and they go on into coaching for example and they just can't wrap their head around players who aren't up to their standards yeah and i do wonder if that's happened if if he's if he's like well tyro mings isn't the captain i was because he's not doing the classic Gerard of being a captain and being the best player and leading by example he's just a perfectly fine player who's a Got good, a good captain, but is perhaps not good enough to play week in, week out for Villa. And just, just digging someone out on the first day of the season is set is setting a rod for your back that you shouldn't, you don't want, you can only do if you've got real cachet. So, like, if if Klopp or Pep or hell, even Tuchel came out and said something about a player game one of the season, you'd be like, fuck it, their clubs are going to back them because they've won stuff. They've yep. all they've all done well for their clubs. I mean, there's other managers, sorry, there were just the three that came to mind. But when you reflect on that Gerrard's got this shit record for Villa, should he be the one making these decisions is still a question. Um, to- I was going to say as well, this, this awfully comes across like Gerard knows that continuing from last season, they haven't been great on form. Is he just trying to blame a player at this point? Uh, because it very much feels like he's thinking, oh, Mings was the problem in terms of our like downturn in performance and results. Now I'm just going to take him out of the equation. Or shock, they lost 2-0. And secondly, he has to double down on the decision. And he's doubled down pretty horribly about it. It's just... I, like Ross says, I think it's just terrible man management. Um, I agree. Sorry, Dave. I agree, Will, that it is to do with him not wanting to play Mings as much. Mm-hmm. But that is the case. Just say that's the case. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't want him to be the captain because he's not going to be playing every week. I don't think. And saying, that's a real reason to change a captain, in my eyes. Yeah. Captain should be a player. He plays he's going to be in the team. 
obviously a bit different if you look at someone like Mark Noble or something like yeah. West Ham. On the whole, your captains are players that are just always going to be in the team. And if that is the case that Mings wasn't always going to be in the team, just say we're changing the captain because Mings isn't going to play every week. I guess, I, I don't know. I just It's so bad, I think. The first day of the season, too, before you even played a game. And then obviously he doesn't play it. It's a terrible result. Yeah, are we sitting here having this conversation if they've won? Do you reckon? I still wouldn't like it even if they'd won. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change it for me. Right. I, I, it's terrible management either way. They just happen to lose as well. Like uh, it does. It doesn't sit well with me for Gerard as a manager. I mean, yeah. well, ta- I mean, the Villa Villa's second half of the season last year is really bad. Yeah, it is bad. Like, there's no skirt in it. It it was not good. Um, and there were a lot of players who didn't look good in that time, not just Mings. And um, I mean, the stat that jumps out to me is that Villa have got a ten percent win rate without him. And irrespective, Ooh. irrespective of what you think of him as a player, and we all have our criticisms of Mings, that Villa do look better with him in. And it says something that I know it's really difficult to say what we think of Carlos because we haven't seen him adapt to the the Premier League. But Villa looked clueless defensively and it was the same thing of transitions killing them. People with pace countering attack, counterattacking them was killing them again. And you just think to yourself, God, I've watched that story a lot last year. I watched that story a lot to the back end of last year. So at this point, is it personnel or is it tactics? Because... There's only so much good players can cover up, and I do, I do wonder with Gerard if he's building Villa in a way that just isn't actually as good as perhaps his reputation leads us to believe. Because, and I'm really sorry to say this, Scottish fans, although I don't, there's any like if you're Rangers. You should finish second or higher every year in the Scottish League. It doesn't take much. Yep. It's not like it's not like something like the Premier League or even La Liga or something where every week you've got, or even the fuck even the Championship where every week you've got to play someone who's good and up for it. It's not like that. The quality gap is that much bigger up there. So you could probably get away with some of this, and then he was. Got to win a couple of games against Celtic every year, so it holds less weight to me when you're talking about how talented he is as a Premier League manager. It's definitely tactical in my eyes. Their squad's good enough; they should certainly been doing better at the end of last year than they were. Yeah, I mean, I would argue Villa's squad managed properly. The person out there, you'd expect to finish what tenth to twelfth, maybe in a good season eight. They, they should be around tenth, I think. For yeah. That. But I mean, I don't know how, like buying Coutinho. I mean, it's not Gerard's fault, but buying Ings to when they have Watkins will never make sense. Yeah, because they forced. You can't play them together, really. That never worked. No. And it. Because what Watkins was decent the first year he was there. He still got eleven goals last season. Yeah, that? which is still fine, given he wasn't probably the main forward a lot. Yeah. And but yeah, well that yeah we've spoken about the English transfer. Well, it, look, nowhere didn't yeah. we? Yeah, well, you're gonna have, we're gonna have to keep an eye. Well, I said we're gonna have to keep an eye on this. We keep an eye on this. In, in my eyes, I reckon. 
if I was going to do favourites for the chop, he would be in there because you watch his team, you watch this Villa team play, and there's no pace. They just this it's static, motionless football that requires so much for you to even score a goal. And the fact that he's fighting with these players already does not bode well for me. Really doesn't. No, I agree. So I look forward to him beating whoever he's playing next week, 3-0. And obviously beating Chelsea when they're... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we can't play at Villa Park. So <laughs> we never have done. I do remember sitting up there once when we got reduced to nine men and Fabian Dell scored a 1-0 goal. Yeah. Oh, oh God. That was, that was so tough. So tough. Um, let's stick with promoted teams and let's move to Fulham because Fulham were really... Oh, I can't believe I'm about to fucking say this. <laughs> Fulham were really impressive at the weekend. Yeah. He wants to talk to me about young Fulham. Well, I mean, they were set up well, weren't they? Like, they literally went toe-to-toe with Liverpool. Mitrovic looked absolutely fantastic. He's just a total menace all, all afternoon. I mean, he was, he was fit. He was just, like, I think last time Mitrovic was in the Prem, he seemed a bit sluggish. He's so sharp. Like, pretty quick, it seems, for Mitrovic, but he's so strong. I mean, Van Dijk ended up bringing him down. Ali Trent for that header. I mean, as far as a striker being a handful, that's up there for, for displays. But he was good at bringing the rest of the team into the into play I mean that's something Mitrovic has been criticised for certainly in the Premier League he looked definitely the best version of Mitrovic has been he's actually scored 44 goals in his last 45 starts which is crazy the next best person England's like 30 goals I think in that time yeah I liked how they uh, they sort of stuck what they were doing in the championship they which I probably didn't think they were going to they sort of went out in the well, in the championship, went out to try and outscore and just take control, and they sort of tried to do that again. Yeah, and to be fair, it, it did work. So, yeah, um, Mitrovic, I think, from what I've listened to, um, it's down to his conditioning. Like they started it last year, and then they've carried it on this year. Because when he is in shape, this is what he can what he can play like. And yeah, he. Yeah, lots to be made of this Trent's defending, but Mitrovic is going to bully most, uh, yeah. most right backs to headers. I wanted to ask about that because I thought the reaction to the reaction to a massive centre forward beating Trent in the air was yeah. ridiculous. I thought it was absolutely yeah. outrageous. Yeah. I, I I think there's I think there's tons of times in modern football discourse where people belie the fact that they they don't actually know anything, but I think. The conversation around that piece of depending in particular was embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if Van, Van Dyke or Matip bullied, yeah, fair enough, because it's it's like a like a semi-physical similar battle. I mean, Trent's probably what six inches smaller. He, he had a, he had a run Ma- on him too. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had a massive run on him. He's <laughs> massive. Yeah, he's beaten near been, every. Yeah, li- if he'd beaten Van Dijk there from running onto it, I'd have been like, "Oh, okay, that's not great, but it's it's still even then it's still understandable." So for him to do trend like that, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just and I, I do, 
I, th- I think I think we we really struggled to have a sensible discussion about Trent Alexander Arnold as a player because he's amazing going forward. He really is amazing, and I think the trade off that Klopp and his team clearly have is he is not perhaps exactly he's not he's not even a great defender. He's in, he's probably he's a, a good defender. I think is what we would say. On the eight times out of ten, he does he's a good defender, um, and he's because he plays for who he plays for when he has a an off moment, it gets the light shined on it, and I think that's I think that is fair enough. But the hyperbole both ways, where sorry, I say hyperbole, hyperbole both ways, <laughs> yeah, the hyperbole both ways of him set of Liverpool fans refusing to accept that there's even a slightest hole in his game. And I say Liverpool fans, you know which ones I mean, not your average people, but and then also the other side where everyone treats him like he's a sieve. Like it's that's not how it is. No, it's just not how it is at all. Yeah. And he's a good player. Would I, if I was picking a, if I was picking a back four for any team other than Liverpool, would I have him over some of the right backs? No, no, I wouldn't. But Liverpool have clearly built that system around getting the best out of him. And for Liverpool, he's a tremendously gifted player. So I just every time we have this come up, and I'm like, oh. It's just, yeah, but the, the trade-off is if he's setting up like 14 goals a season for you. Yeah, who gives a you're shit? You're not getting that out of any of the fullbacks in the league. No. The only one who's close is Robertson, really. Cancelo, maybe. Cancelo's not giving you. And and honestly, like if we do want to talk about it, Trent's a better defender than Cancelo. Definitely. Yeah. He's a much better defender than Cancelo. I mean, all you could say, all you can say, is you. You'd hope that Kyle Walker had Trent's attacking prowess because then he'd be the best defender in world football. Like, just get that in one bag, though. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, I did want to go back to something you said, Dave, about Fulham. Um, I was tremendously impressed with their midfield in particular. Yeah. You brought me on nicely to what I was going to say. Which Look is... at that. It's almost like we, we segued. Uh, <laughs> I felt that this game highlighted how at danger Liverpool's midfield is from this being their fall-off season. Okay. Like Henderson just, he was lacking pace. He just wasn't particularly strong. He made a few mistakes. I mean, he's obviously, he's obviously been great for them, but it's, it's no secret that they really need to refresh that midfield, really. I mean, Thiago's a good player. He's 31, gets injured. Fabinho is really hit and miss, I find. Um, he can be brilliant or he can be an absolute passenger and for a long long time Fabinho was absolutely fantastic but last season in particular I feel like his more normal what we can expect for him came out which is he can be brilliant but he can also totally let you down in the centre mid and I think as well when you, you partner the Oh, Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago, none of them are massively pacey. I think it's a bit of a, even though the technical ability there is obviously not to be questioned, I think the physicality and the pace of that midfield is is maybe not where it needs to be. And when you when you put them up against even that Fulham midfield, um, I think, to be fair, Andreas Pereira was okay. But yeah, Har- he was really good. Really Harrison, good. Harrison Reed and that Paul Polinia, he just had a lot more energy... Harrison Reed, to be honest, I thought he was okay last time there in the Prem. He's, you know, he could just run and run for ages. Yeah, he was really good too. 
pretty good in the tackle as well, Harrison Reed. Even coming up against that dynamic in midfield, this Liverpool midfield looked like they are past their best. And when you look at who's on the bench, they had to bring Harvey Elliott on in the second mid. Don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but I don't know if he's ready-made yet. James Milner came on, he's like 37. Then they've got, um, what's his name? Cater, who's injured every five minutes. He's good, he's good. He's good made a glass, though. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they've got like Oxley chamberlain he's like, been out of the frame for ages and is injured all the time. I think it, it showed that maybe if they're going to make one more big signing, it, it really should be a midfielder. Um, because even if you look beyond this season, it's a bit bleak in terms of the age of the midfield and, and players out of contract. Uh, I was a bit baffled he played for Mino, to be honest. I mean, they ended last season a lot with Yotta and through the middle. Yeah, I know he's injured. Sorry, wasn't he? You assume Nunez wasn't fit, I guess. Uh, I would assume he'll be starting through the middle. Uh, I th- I've got a f- uh, the sense I'm getting with Nunez is that he's and he's he is really interesting to watch. <laughs> I'll say that it's, that's the nicest thing I've got to say. I think is that he's really interesting to watch and he somehow seems to do his job in spite of himself. But I quite like that. Um, he's he's I think being left out to avoid a bit of pressure. Because I think Klopp is probably quite conscious that it's going to take some adaption time, and striker is striker and goalkeeper on a football pitch are perhaps the two biggest like positions that deal with a mental block. If you if you start to be shit at your job when you're in those positions, and all the focus is understandably on you based on where you are on the pitch, um, that can knock your confidence. So I think Klopp is just doing some really careful management with him, which I think he should be commended to. Um, and so far, it looks to be working. Yeah, because he changed the game when he came on. He really did. Yeah. He really did. Um, I mean, I think the, I think you're right, Dave, about their midfield. I think we called it out at the time. When they spent the £30 million on Thiago, we were like, yeah, he's a good player. He's going to take Liverpool's um, attacking play onto another level. But the problem with him is going to be that ability to stay fit. Um and that has kind of proven through. I mean, you probably were hoping if you're Liverpool that after Naby Keita had a, bre- a bit of a breakthrough in terms of Liverpool last year, you were probably hoping that he was going to be able to stay fit. But he's proven he can't stay fit. So you really are left with issues in that midfield because your ideal midfield now, if you're them, is Fabinho, Thiago, and then another technician in that right-hand sided thing. Because... I know that I know in the past Klopp moved away from having his midfield need to create in favour of the wide players creating in favour of giving Trent that platform to create. And that is why Henderson was so important. But as Henderson fades and as they're now looking to move to a perhaps more possession thing where they've got a feeder striker, um, I think it's really interesting that the midfield hasn't changed. And I do think you are right that it is going to have to change. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and pick someone up. But the the difficulty when you're Liverpool is you need someone who's going to come in and improve your midfield. And as we've seen, they only spend money when they've identified that it's the absolute perfect person for the, the role. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it was six or seven of the 11 were over 30. It's the first time since like the early 90s or something like that that that's been the case for Liverpool. 
Well, I mean, this does happen. Right? Liverpool have been Liverpool have been in their cycle now for about five years. This is, I mean, what City do is not normal. Like City's ability to be good for ten years or so is not really how it goes in football. It's not really how it goes in any sport. So, uh, Liverpool's if Liverpool are going to have a down year and they are going to have to refresh their midfield, it is going to take them a while to get back up there. So it'd be interesting to see how they do that. But back to Fulham. Fulham's pressing was amazing. Yeah. Um, the way they control, the way they limited Liverpool's space, and I mean, I know Liverpool's midfield wasn't really at it, but the way they sort of conditioned the centre backs to put it into the midfield and then pounce was really impressive. And I just kind of wanted to say, Marco um, Silva, what a weird career. Because he yeah. looked like the next big thing at Hull and then Everton was such a disaster. Um, did we perhaps lean more into thinking about Marco Silva Everton than Marco Silva Hull? And is that perhaps fair? Well, it's difficult to judge people on maybe what they do at Everton. I don't know, it's such a circus there. Hmm. I don't know. But he, wasn't he at Watford as well, Marcus? He was at Watford briefly, wasn't he? Yeah. He was at Watford. He was at Watford. Um, but, I mean, everyone's been there. He was good at Watford as well for at the start and then it and then he started floating with Everton and it all went downhill. Um, the key problem for him is that he's clearly a fan of Richarlison, so that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. It's really tough. Uh, but um who it'd be interesting to see Fulham um how Fulham get on. I will be seeing them live in a few weeks. So have fun there. Yeah, that'll be great fun, won't it? Watch watch Mitrovic bully Kukurea in the air, that'll be interesting. Good lord. I tell you what, when he pulls on to Cucurella and everyone goes, oh, it's fine because he's short. I'm going to be there just going, oh, come on. Let's see him versus uh, Martinez at Man U. Oh, the Argentine has Buller. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting to Man United yet because I can't bring myself to get depressed. They're not even depressed. I've just got to do what Mike does. Um, very depressed. Mike's, Mike's so unhappy. He's not even on the pod. <laughs> No, it's the snake venom, Dave. Um, two choices of where to go next, and you can pick. We can do, based off the fact we've talked about Everton, we can talk about the Everton, or based on the fact we've talked about Nunes and Strikers, we can go talk about Haaland. But the thing is with Haaland, what are we saying other than, yeah, he is as advertised. <laughs> no, there's yeah, to say. I mean, to say Which one do you want to go to first? Do you want to do City, then? Yeah, yeah. City. Yeah. Um, what a dominant performance that was so utterly, utterly dull. It yeah. was so dull, wasn't it? It was not a great watch. Because West Ham pretty much just sat back and were unable to do almost anything, really. Um, I know it is difficult when you play against City, but... I mean... I don't know, I think it was Carragher, was it Carragher or was it Neville? I can't remember. They were saying you you, you can't just sit back and let them roll all over you because you just got no chance. And, yeah, Haaland, yeah, I mean, he's good, isn't he? Really good. Yeah. And because he's, his pace and his power gives him something that we've not really seen from Pep's city mm-hmm. up front. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Dominant display, as you say, but not not a great watch. They look different. They look really different, and we'll get onto why they look different in a bit. But when you think back, think back to 
Aguero, Sane and Sterling. Yeah. When you think back to that team and you think about the width they had and the pace of which they attacked and the angles and how it was just so sort of like they blew people away, but it was always great to watch. And then you think to the city, what city are now, and they're they're amazing in a different way. But they score a goal and they just kill the game with possession in a way that, again, they're really good. But anyone who tries to tell me the city are great to watch. I'm getting to the point now where I was by the end of Pep's Barca, where I'm like, they're really good. I don't want to watch them unless they are going after something. Yeah, you do get too many games like this where it's just not not exciting or interesting. I, I do. I am a fan generally of like teams who play like that. But you're right. If you do catch a game like this, then but if they do, they are firing. Yeah. Then they are great to watch, I think. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I guess what I'm saying is, I've seen too many City games now where they score two and they set up shop. And I'm, I know this is this is very much like I am the famous person that says I don't really care how you win. And I do think there is something to that. I do think that at the end of the day, if you're a manager, the performance matters. The performance does matter, but for, I'm saying just for me as a neutral now, I don't find City enjoyable to watch. And um, the only time I think I find them enjoyable to watch now is in the Champions League, or in or against Liverpool because they are playing typically playing against teams that disrupt what they're trying to do. Whereas I just think there's there's an element of this where. I don't blame West Ham for this kind of performance, but I just think because that's I think that's probably how you compl- most people would play City if they don't apply themselves to Brent Press, but it's just not interesting to me. And I don't think they automatically play great football anymore. Well they do they play possession football, but they don't play interesting football, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I- I think it's because they're just such like a well-oiled machine now. I think they just know that most teams, even a team like West Ham, who are you know like top eight, at least top ten, um, they can just turn up and most of the time, even those teams at their best are going to struggle to match them. I mean, that Haaland goal, the second one with De Bruyne's pass, how many times are we going to see that this season? I mean... He's just so quick. He so is for a big bloke. He but is really quick. I agree. Well, I feel like feel like Sane, Sterling, and Aguero was was so entertaining to watch. I mean, you could argue that in one sense, the fact these guys are so dominant is entertaining in itself. But I agree in terms of general excitement, like attacking football, these guys aren't quite on that same level. Are, yeah. are they? And- and it's all relative. I still think they are. I still think they play the best football of anyone in in terms of performance. Obviously, I still think they are the best in the league by a country mile. I'm just saying that this idea that Pep Pep always plays entertaining football, I don't yeah. actually think rings true with City. I do think there are so many games now where he. He does the right thing. He absolutely does the right thing in that they just kill the game of possession. But it can lead. It just leads to games like this every now and then. But that's enough of that because they were incredibly dominant. They were amazing. Um, for West Ham, 
I think you can you can write this one off. You don't really have to think about it again because you didn't have any fit centre halves practically, and um, you just came across an amazing team. So I wouldn't even think about it if I was them. That said, Schmack is a dustbin. <laughs> he is a dustbin. Not a fan. Um, there were lots of interesting things City did. Um, I think Gundogan's probably got a bigger game to play this year than we probably thought he had because sort of he seemed to have a connection bubbling with Haaland already. I know De Bruyne got the assist, but it seemed to be something there with Gundogan too. Yeah, I mean, there were rumours about him being out the door a bit earlier on. Um, but I think it's fair to say that whenever they've needed Gundogan to be a big player for them, he has been a big player for them. Definitely. Um, like when they won the league two years ago, he was probably their best player that year, or you could argue he was their best player. Didn't score the winner against Villa last season. He last did, year. yeah. He was great in that game when they needed when they needed something. Um yeah, he gave it to them. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. He's, he's really good. And yeah, you're right. If it's him and uh, De Bruyne sliding through Haaland, I mean, it's going to lead to a bucket load of goals, you'd have thought. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that City, for most of this game, played like a 2-3-5. Like, you had... Um, you had the two centre-halves, obviously, and then you had the full-backs basically joining Rodri as a three. And then you had the wingers, for once, actually keeping their width because they've got so narrow at City recently. And then sort of you had Gundogan and De Bruyne right next to Haaland. And it sort of made it really difficult for people to mark Haaland because they were like, well, we've got to come out and move to... We've got to come out and move to Haaland. Not in, a, not in that way, Dave. Get your mind out of the gutter. But um, it sort of made them move. And I think watching that, I was like, okay, this is, I mean, this is why City are good to watch in that when you work, is you can spend a good 20 minutes trying to work out what Pep's going to do. And that is, you're always like, he's, he's nuts. But I thought that was a really clever way, perhaps of defeating a low block in that getting people right in and around Haaland, to quote a great man. But um, I just thought that was really interesting. And, I actually was sort of alleviated my concerns around Haaland perhaps having to do some of the tippy-tappy around the box. Yeah. One thing I will ask you two is, what do you make of City's bench? Well, it's oh, crazy. No, Cole Palmer came on, didn't he? Is it crazy? Because I, mean, I looked at it and I thought, and I thought, name for name based on past City benches, that to me felt weak. Hold on, let me have a look. Yeah, I'll just get it up so I can have a look. I mean, five players came on. Bernardo Silva, Alvarez, Mares, Calvin Phillips and Cole Palmer. And then John Stones. Take it back. John Stones I mean, unused. I'd say... It's not going to get a much better five to come on. Yeah, take it back. I'd say it's pretty crazy. And remember, Laporte's injured as well. So one of those youngsters, Rico Lewis or Josh Wilson, Esband, one of them... I've been a bit ignorant because I'm not sure where they play, but those could be a defender who would probably oh. be replaced by Laporte or yeah. after if Laporte was starting. So it's still a pretty crazy bench. Well, I, was, I guess what I've fallen 
in in the trap of is the new benches having more and more names on because I did think yeah. it, as I looked over the weekend I'm like some of these benches God some players on there I wouldn't have seen but the one thing I would say with even that bench at all there's not a lot to change it there for City it's all like for like it's all very much we're cutting in field there just seems to be a lack of natural width even still off the bench which is yeah I guess what I'm interested in yeah no, I think you're probably right because Grealish and Foden probably, yeah, players more like to cut inside and move inside. I mean, but yeah, we were worried about that when, when Sterling was gone, to be fair. Because again, Mares also is a player who likes to cut inside off the right, so. Yeah, and look, he's the greatest player of all time, so I forgot he came off the bench. So. Um, I, I still don't think Grealish looks right in a City shirt. Um, I'd be interested to see how he progresses on the season goes on. But he, I think Gary never called it out in commentary pretty nicely. He was, they were all looking to clip balls into Haaland. I think City understood how important it is to get Haaland going. But it is completely counteracts what Grealish is so good at doing, and that's getting up players when he's just left to check back inside and sort of deliver it. So... They're still striving for that balance of what makes him great, and um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, exciting times for City, not for anyone else, because they'll be bored. <laughs> um, where do we want to go next? I mean, we've talked about boring. Let's talk about the 5.30 kickoff, which was maybe the worst game of the weekend. Good Lord, Everton-Chelsea. What a sack of shit that was. <laughs> um, I just... Oh, oh. Have you guys... I know it's tough, but whenever a game starts with a leg break or something... Yeah. And has a medical emergency in it... It's it tough. completely ruins the game. And this yeah. game at two. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, takes like this zip out of the game. There's obviously big concern from the players. It's a bit of a solid atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, no one wants to see any player get a serious injury. So if it happens at all, it, it obviously changes the game. But if it happens near the start, it sets the tone for for the game. Really, um, you know, no one likes to see it happen. Um, I hope Godfrey's okay, but it did look pretty nasty. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a tough one to watch. It, you know, it was, it was tough all around, but um, it just, it, well, it didn't feel like a good game. It felt a bit like a pre-season game. I mean, when you get 3-4-3 versus 3-4-3, it is always dull and boring, but this even more so. I don't really want to, if, I don't know, it's up to you two. I don't really want to talk about Chelsea because other than the fact that all three of the new signings came on and actually looked much better than the rest of the team, it's really difficult to talk about Chelsea because they've got so many irons in the fire about the players they're buying. So I don't really want to talk about them because anything we say now is pretty irrelevant. The only thing I will say is they didn't play very well and they won at Everton, which I know Everton is shit, but they never win at Everton. They never win at Everton. They hadn't won at Everton in five years. They'd lost four of their last five at Everton. So... That's an important result, but I think Everton are more interesting to talk about because I was shocked by how competent they looked defensively, and they yep. went through about five centre halves. I was going to say as well, I was shocked 
never thought these words would leave my mouth. But Is Alex, this about Mason Holgate? No, Alex Awobi in there. Looks oh! Pretty good. Superb. Yeah, some people have been saying put him in central midfield for about 10 years at this point. And Jolington 2.0. Oh, he's bad. He's definitely better, yeah. I mean, jokes aside, he was amazing. He really was, yeah. He really looked good. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll preface this by saying he played a lot of it up against Jorginho, who um, I think has been having a lot of a lot of pasta. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> But he was really good. I thought, I thought that structure of, although I think we probably won't see it this season, was interesting. I thought Tarkovsky was really good. Yep, really good. Two of them is amazing. The only question for them, and it is a question that I think also applies for Chelsea. We'll see when their players actually start getting up to whack. Where are Everton's goals coming from, man? Like, yeah. Where are they coming from? Like, Anthony Gordon was their most threatening player and no one from no one has a, no one is talked about more while providing so little as that Dwight McNeil he's also now in the same team <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah very great too can you get him in there yeah yeah but I don't think anyone other than Leicester fans haven't promised with him for years I don't think anyone's really spoken about him in the terms of McNeil was spoken about for a good couple of years and Gordon ever since he got into that Everton first game. Oh, there's, there's, that lineup they played, there's no goals there, really, at all. No. I mean, in their squad, I don't know where they're looking for goals other than when I uh, mean, Calvert-Lewin plays. Solomon Rondon is their backup and he's I was going to say, Rondon was okay a few years ago, but he is... They kept showing him in the stands. Yeah, when they did the pad to him in the stands, I was like, like, this is hilarious. I'd rather fancy he Gordon up top. I'm like... (laughs) They were padded to him like he was Jesus Christ. Basically, like the new big sign of get a grip. Um, the most entertaining, there were two real entertaining parts of um, this game, and neither of them happened while the game was on. The first one was Big Duncan Ferguson saying, I think Everton will win 2 0 here comfortably. And I was like, You're bold to think there's two goals in this game. Um, <laughs> And then the second one was that afterwards um, they were talking about Thiago Silva's amazing performance and, they were, and Jamie um, Redknapp said, yeah, he needs to win the Champions League before he's in that world-class bracket. And I was thinking, you wasn't. Oh, <laughs> you absolute tosser. Um, anyway, that's enough talk on that game because it was dull as ditch water. But we had to... Um, right. We've got limited time. Mm-hmm. Do Arsenal quickly and then move to Man United. Because Man United, 20 minutes. Um, Arsenal um, kicked off the season. 2-0 win. Pretty good at Palace. Yep. Definitely good. take that at Palace. It's a yeah. tough tough place to go and play. Yeah. We struggled a lot there last year. They really played as well last year. Wasn't smooth sailing this time. No, it wasn't. They were really good. Yeah, After first 20 minutes. Game. Uh, I thought we did play some really good stuff. We really controlled the game. Jesus was looking really up for it. Uh, Martinelli missed a good chance. <laughs> a really good chance. He did. I thought across the first half, overall, we did tell off a little bit, but we were pretty in control. Um, we weren't as good second half. 
Um, but Saliba, I thought, was really good. It was really his first first game in the Premier League, 21. Obviously, pretty well hyped amongst the Arsenal fans, at least. I don't know he had a good year last year, but um, him and Gabriel looks looks pretty solid. I thought Ben White was was decent at right well, back too. Yeah, ben, yeah. White, ben White was fine. I thought I, he I was sort I of stepping up into into midfield a little bit too. Yeah, and um, and to be honest, it did highlight that it still highlights that flaw we talked about last week about Arsenal squad in that when you lose that position at fullback someone's having to step in who's not ideal for the role and Saliba was amazing Saliba was really good I was thoroughly impressed with him and I but I was particularly impressed with the way he read the danger when Ben White had to be covered I mean there were a couple of times where Will Sahar did him and that's to be expected but I, I thought mean, yeah. yeah I did I, I thought I thought Ben White was fine he was probably about as good as you would expect him to be in that role but I thought his sort of fail failings in a way only drove to make Saliba better and I thought if I wasn't the only takeaway I had from this game as an Arsenal fan well I mean if you're an Arsenal fan would be two things one of how good Saliba was and the second in being Arsenal are still not comfortable when they don't have the football they're still not where Arteta wants them to be where they don't have the football they they, and they still lack those elements of control. And to be honest, every I think every team bar um, City and Liverpool kind of has that in them. I also think Spurs, for example, are more com- are more comfortable with their down of the ball. Arsenal still strike me as a bit nervy, and they, they sort of off the ball. Not, they don't look quite as structured as they should look. But other than that, I thought they were really impressive. Yeah, and there's always something to be said for winning these games. Where I mean, we I think we we certainly deserve to win the game, but winning the ones what we yeah. haven't been good at is winning the ones that are a bit tough. Yeah. Um, and Palace is a tough place to go, as I said. Um, I would say I think Ben White, like Wilf Sahar, is not an easy player to play when you're playing out of position. I, no. I think he was fine, really. It could have gone a lot worse for him out there. Well, um, yeah. I mean, if he's stepping in as your backup, it's not ideal, maybe, but. Tommy Arsu is a good defensive fullback. He's usually going to be in there, you'd think. Yeah. Um, can stay Ramsdale, back. yeah, who's sort of Ramsdale a little bit with some of his distribution. Uh, uh, I should I should say though, he made he made a couple of really big saves. Yeah. It, it would be interesting to see how we talked about this Arsenal performance if he hadn't made those big saves. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. and obviously that's a change in it completely. But if it's two-two, perhaps we're talking a little bit more about that lack of control that they showed. And perhaps we are actually talking about what we should talk about, which is Arsenal struggled to play the ball through the press at the back uh, at times. And the only reason being was that Thomas Partey did not want to take more than a touch on the ball. And Thomas Partey was maliciously booed for reasons that are available available to you if you use the internet. Um, if that's, I would imagine that's going to be a recurring theme wherever he goes. Yeah. So from a purely sporting angle, that is a problem they've got to tackle and tackle soon. Yeah. So without him getting the ball through midfield as well, they're going to perhaps look a bit stodgy at times. But it's fine because as soon as they get it beyond the halfway line, they can have any one of the number of really talented technicians they've got picking up. And I mean, if Odegaard, I think what we need to keep a, a track on is the XG that Odegaard turns down. 
because he refuses to shoot on his weaker foot. I, it drives me up the wall when players do this. And we don't talk about it enough as an actual character flaw. Well, not character flaw, a flaw of them as a player. He, not taking those shots. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. What are you doing? I agree. I do agree. And I don't like it. But, I mean, he does have a bit of that Ozil about him too in that... I mean, Ozil also was terrible on his right foot. And But he does like the assist more than the goal, I feel like. Um, I but, mm. I mean, I feel like that he's... You're right, and I don't like it, as I said. But I think with Jesus in there now, who's well, by far the best goal... Well, by, by far... The best goal scorer that Odegaard probably has played with at, at oh. Arsenal. Oh, OK. Well, I know he's, he plays with Haaland. We're always about to hit the reef. Yeah. He plays with Haaland. He's also ex-Madrid. <laughs> we need to... We well, need well to yeah, how much is he playing play there, though? It doesn't much. matter. He'll have been on the pitch with Benzema at some point. I think we need to pump the brakes. Yeah, well, I said at Arsenal, so there you go. Yeah. And he is a player who likes the, the triangles, the little passes. Um... Which is funny that he plays so well with Haaland, I guess, because that's not really how he likes to play. But um, I think that's why he'll fit well with Jesus, who has obviously played a lot of that at City. The triangle was around the edge of the box. Um, but I mean, is it... It is a flaw. No, and I get it, but it's if, if your weak foot really is that bad... No, it's a massive flaw. I'm sorry. It, it's... It, 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 there's two parts of that. If your weak foot is that bad, which having seen what he can do with some of his stuff, I don't think it is that bad. No, if you're turning down that kind of chance, that that is severely limits the it severely limits your attacking potential. One of the things that made David Veer so good was that he was good on both sides, which made up for other flaws at times. And yeah, well, they're not really the same kind of. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying is it's the same kind of principle in terms of. If you have that ability, it opens up the entire different angles and stuff that's important. Yeah, well, it's like De Bruyne is probably the good example of that. So a creator yeah. who is good on both sides. But De Bruyne, you you're right. De Bruyne is a better example of that because De Bruyne, I think you would say, is a, he leans to, to be a more creative person. And it was kind of it was the same with Hazard as well. Both of them liked the pass more, but neither one of them would have turned down that opportunity to shoot. Oh, I don't know about Hazard. I would have called him a, a goal scorer first. No, Look, if, if you go read his quotes, he says exactly the same. And I can tell you a number of times where he does stuff like that. But what I'm saying is, if he's... It, this whole idea... And it was the same with Ozil. This whole idea of, I'll go for the assist. But the assist isn't always the right choice to make. Yeah. Yeah, and, you're right. And, that, and it's, it's been over... It's not been over... It's just something to, to keep your eye on. Because it's not about being overly negative as a player. He's still a wonderful player. But... What is what is both? And it's one of those annoying things that could cost Arsenal at the time. But what you think to yourself is, God, if he could figure that out, that's another level he could unlock. I think, yeah. Also, you would say we don't. Two-footed players is not a thing we've got in abundance. Saka will take shots on his right, but they're not they're not good often. Martinelli as well is pretty right-footed. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's certainly something 
to but, uh, consider. Yeah, and he doesn't. I'm not saying he has to be good. I'm not saying. I'm not saying he has to be Kevin De Bruyne. Where Kevin De Bruyne scored that ridiculous hat trick against Wolves last year, most of his left foot. What I'm saying is, you can't think to if you get to the point where defenders go, let him have that. That's a problem. Yeah, that's when it starts to affect the team. Yeah, I mean there are players who use one foot who are so good that it doesn't matter that they use one foot. Pretty much. Well, not pretty much. People like Mares, obviously he's okay on his right, but he is always looking for that left. And he yeah. is difficult to stop when he's going on to that left. Yeah, but part of the reasons he can go left is because people have to respect his right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, the, look, Arsenal were really good and Odegaard was really good. It's just one of it's just one of my pet hates is when a player turns down a chance like yeah. that and then passes it and then we all sort of sit there and go, oh, he's just trying to, he's just trying to be the artistic nature. And I'm like, just be ruthless because the best players are ruthless. What do you think? I mean, yeah, the thing for me is that there's a certain amount of weaker foot stuff that can be worked on. Yeah. Like by working with your weak foot, you're likely to get at least competent enough that you'd feel good shooting on it. I, w- I would suggest. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, there's some natural thing there with some players like the Cazorlas and stuff where you can't really tell yeah, but what foot they use. But. My, my question is more that with him there, in the, he could probably technically do it, but... Oh, he's technically... Is it the mental yeah. thing? And if it's the yeah, mental thing, that again needs... You could, co- you could probably coach that out of him. And again just stressing that we're nitpicking and the only reason we're nitpick the only reason we're nitpicking is because he's so good that you want to see how good he can become I love watching him play I really do that's what it is anyway uh, Arsenal were fine mm-hmm. yeah, Ars- okay. Arsenal to me and I do think they, I do, I'm going to say this now and everyone's going to recoil I actually do think they're in the same boat as Chelsea were this weekend whereas they play better than Chelsea I'm not saying that but yeah. it didn't really matter what yeah. they played, it was just that they won these two difficult games. That was the more yeah. impressive part. And um, yeah, I mean, the one they were definitely better going forward than Chelsea. They were better defensively. Uh, Chelsea, but there yeah. we are. Well, um, Chelsea only got a point though because of an Everton mistake, rather than anything that they actively did. Well, Decore dropped. Well, some well, clanker. well. There's two ways to look at that because you could look at the fact that Chilwell was in the box with a good chance of goal. So it's easy. yeah, yeah, but. That's kind of a good like, chance of goal, and there's that, a Jorginho that, penalty. That is true, but that's all. That, that's true, but that's all, that, was, that is very uh, much like me turning around no. and saying, "Well, the only reason Arsenal no. got Arsenal got three points is because Ramsdale made two saves. It's individual actions change the game, and that's how it works." Yeah, I agree, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not debating the attacking. Win, win. Not debating the attacking Browns. I was debating more the defensive side of it. I mean, it's worth noting that Decore challenge, although I know we moved on, but. What is he doing? I don't know what he's doing. Atrocious. Work. He can't tackle from the right-hand side. It's shocking. Did you see Yerry Mina grab Sterling by the hips, by the way, while we're on the chat? That was not okay. No. That was really not okay. And we didn't touch on Raheem Sterling. He was brilliant, I thought. No, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he added a little bit of north-south that Chelsea desperately need. And yeah. I think if... um. I mean, going back to it, I, I mentioned it to you in the chat, Ross. They look worlds better when they're the fullback started running. And I, I just think they don't look fit. And I'll go back to it again. Stop making players go around, get on a million planes before the season starts. Because when the season starts, they look shattered already. 
Chilwell Chilwell looked like a bloke making his first start after nine months out with an ACL, didn't he? Good. Did indeed. Oh, my word. Anyway, anyway, let's give him a few weeks. Give everyone a few weeks, if we're being honest, Mm -hmm. other than Man United. Dave, um, from Palace perspective, who was, did you find your most improved player? Do you find your rookie of the year? There was one bloke that I saw and I was like, the Palace, and it wasn't Jordan, are you? Was that? Um, he torched Zinchenko on a few occasions, and I was like, Zinchenko, come on, bro, like, come on. I don't want to talk uh, about Jordan either. Abarachi as a, as a, by any chance. No, it wasn't. Was it Joachim Anderson? No, it wasn't, although I did he like was, him too. He was slinging some, some passes out from the back. I mean, it was Decore, that's who it was. I quite liked him. Yeah, the, I did too. He was good in midfield, yeah. There were a few moments where I'm like, oh, they might have a player here. I mean, Anderson is Maguire, but with less PR. Yeah, seriously, he lets them down all the time. Like, Magu- like you he know, some whole Saints last season. Like, I think there was two in two games out of three where he had like road back passes. Someone ran empty. It was it was incredible. It's incredible that he still plays with them. I mean, well, wow. Anderson. Oh, I like Anderson. I wasn't saying he's Maguire with better PR as a, a with worse PR as an insult. Like Harry Maguire's a good player, but and Anderson's a great passer of the football, but really he good. doesn't carry it like I think. Yeah, no. yeah, but look, if he didn't have the errors, he wouldn't be at Palace. I mean that's true. It's a great point. I tell you right, can't believe we've waited this long to talk about the elephant in the room from there. Is it, Tyreek Mitch is it, is it Malang Sar's transfer to um, Monaco is it honestly it's only Minamino for 15 million so nothing shocks me with that football well player. do you know the best thing about um, the Malang Sar transfer is it's all profit for Chelsea because they got him on free I mean it's not profit when you take into account the sheer amount of well like, you don't know that they're going to have to sell him because it's based on a, a massive number of appearances isn't it no, he's not coming back let me tell you if yeah, I but start the 15 next... million fees based on playing a number of games. You... Yeah, but not... the loan fee, Ross, the loan fee itself is a profit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Think about it. But what I'm saying... saying it's all profit. They're having to watch Malang's side. Well, there's not a lot well, of it's, it's, I mean, it's a... It's, someone described it as a great That's scale. Like, profit. Yeah, for one side. <laughs> you know. Batshuayi to Wolves? Ooh, I don't like that either. Um, yeah. Ooh. Timo Werner to Leipzig? Fair play, Timo. Time to go, yeah, it's a, how much did you pay for him? Like 47, 47. Yeah, because 20 something back. 25, apparently. That's not... Potentially rising to 32. Like, look, that could have been worse for you. Look, there's a player with, there's a player with Timo Werner. There's a player there. That, yeah, he's a guy who's got scores in the Bundesliga. Yeah, well, look, he's got a good record in the Champions League for Chelsea too. So it's clear that whenever he give, he's given space... He can be doing something. It's just bad recruitment from Chelsea. And speaking of bad recruitment, yes. we arrive at Manchester United, who I am not well, I know, and numerous times this weekend I've had a stomach issue. And even I watched United shit all over themselves. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, it could get worse. Like... I don't even know where to begin, so someone else is going to have to. What was the most disappointing part of Manchester United? 
this weekend. Disappointing employees. No, go on, Dave. Go on. So I always revel in Man United playing badly, so there was no. Oh no, I love it. I, I do too. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's. Sorry, sorry. I said you could go. You, you go. Go, go, go. It's it's the glaring lack of quality in midfield that's been an issue for how many years now? Five, six, possibly. So Tomane and Fred again starting midfield. I mean, when it's it doesn't matter like. It's like they have this idea that the players just haven't been coached well enough and not that they're actually just not good enough. Yeah. Like, how many coaches are going to try and get something out of these guys that just clearly is not there? Like, I'm sure at this point you could give McFrank and Pep and Klopp and, and they're not going to get anything out of them either because they're just not good enough. Especially McTom. Definitely not good enough. I mean, if you've got a decent older midfielder in that team... I'm sure it does him an absolute world of good, but somehow I still have two, like, what, four and a half, five out of ten guys doing the job that one very good player could do. Well, but not doing the job he could do. They can't even do that between them. So, I don't know what you could say was the most disappointing thing, because I just, this is what I expected. It's the same players. They, they have once again not fixed any of the, the, filled any of the holes that they needed to nope. fill. Like glaringly a central midfield player, yeah. Ideally, someone who, yeah, the holding player. But I mean, I mean, yeah. And they start Ericsson up front. Um, I know Martial they made was a guy who's had a heart attack play, play up front, and then they were like play box to box. Yeah, I mean, he's not not a, the quickest of players, is he either? And they were asking him to press and all sorts, which clearly. Clearly, he was not going to be not going to be right for. Um, I thought Bruno was pretty rubbish as well. I know. I mean, I mean, I say I'm picking out Bruno. I don't think anyone played well for Man United. It was pretty shocking across the board. Uh, Martinez was had a really tough debut, and should, by all accounts, have given away a penalty. That for the life of me, I don't understand how that that wasn't given. Um, Rashford as well looked pretty rusty. Um, hasn't scored from a Premier League start for like 15 months or something like that. Wow. Um, wow, that's a start. But I just wasn't surprised. This is what I expected. Like, as you say, Dave, people are saying, oh, because it was Solskjaer, you know, not not a super great coach. Couldn't get it out of him. Like, Ranić's a highly respected coach amongst football people. Couldn't get anything out of him. Uh, why people expected things to be different just because it was Ten Hag, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I mean, fair play to Brighton though, because I was really impressed with Brighton. Grand Potter's Barmy Army. Danny Welbeck. <sighs> Maverick display for Welbeck. Best player on the pitch. The don't take this the wrong way. But if you can't deal with Danny Welbeck as a centre-back <laughs> pairing for Man United, you should not be at that football club. Isn't Welbeck like 33 as well? This isn't even it's a like proper period. Thing, you should is probably he? be at that yeah. On the subject of Danny Welbeck, the ball he played across the box for the first one, the fact that De Gea hasn't cut that out or hasn't been brave enough to go cut that out is embarrassing. I mean, United's, def- United's problems... United's I really don't know where to begin with it, but I guess we'll start with the goalkeeper. It is laughable that they are trying to put into display this kind of system with De Gea in goal. Now, 
I sit there and I, I watch Tuchel play back to front football, passing football from out the back every week. And, Ed, and Edouard Mendy is not the best keeper in the world with his feet. He's fine with it, but he's not great at it. That said, he is way better than David De Gea is. David De Gea is one of the worst keepers I've ever seen with his feet. And the fact that he won Player of the Year last year is not an excuse for not moving him on if you're brave enough for a football club to know what you want to instill. That's the start of it. The defending is completely irrespective of who's in there. They're going to be battered regardless because they refuse to sort out the midfield. That said, Martinez started the game off well. He looked composed. He looked the only one that wasn't shattered mentally by what last season was. But instantly in this game, you saw the problems that he's going to face this season, which is physically there are going to be players in this league that are going to bully him, which means you are going to have to set yourselves up properly. To deal with that, and against him, Jesus. Exactly, but yep. playing him in a two with Harry Maguire next to him is not the answer. And I think every man and his dog could have told you that wasn't the answer. You were completely right, of course, about the midfield. Fred is not a six. Fred has never been a six. McTominay is an embarrassing footballer for a club of Man United size. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure he's got plenty of. I, I, I don't doubt his heart and his commitment, but. Te- in terms of technical ability, he is woefully undershot. They are trying to play a possession-based football, and he does not want the football. Yet he started for Ten Hag. That is, that is both a failure of recruitment, but it's also a failure of the manager to pick that player. I mean, and then you get further forward. I cannot, for the life of me, understand how you don't play Bruno Fernandes, who is more suited up front over Ericsson. If you have to do that, then do that. Because it was it was so noticeable to me how United when they when they dropped Ericsson into a deeper role, United were able to United's play was so much more fluid, they were able to get the ball better, and it was absolutely fine. And then you go to the wingers, you go to the two wingers. United how long did United chase Jane Sancho for? It's like two years. In that entire two year span, did they watch him? Because because the station in him out there, he's not quick. He's never been quick. They, he's not. He's not the most dynamic one-on-one winger that's in the world. He thrives on. He thrives on, as we saw at Dortmund, overlapping fullbacks. He was great with the keeper next to him and quick combination passes. And basically, they they just stick him out there, and they're like, "Oh, do whatever." So. I don't really understand where to go from here. I think it's so easy to say let them sign Declan Rice and play him in the middle. But quite frankly, I think if they sign Declan Rice, they play him right back because they have no clue what they want to do with their team. They have no clue how to put it in these things. And I just think the fact that Ten Hag got there early, saw all of this, saw all of this and has been working with the players and we keep having to hear, oh, he's, he's doing well, he's, he's, he's learning from the players, all these players are learning from him, they're happy to train and all this. And for him to come out with this... I think is actually a bit of a shocker on him too. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's early to criticise the manager, but if you want to play the football you want to play, play that football and get tanked for it. But don't play players like McTominay that don't suit your system. Like, if you have to play a player who can suit the football you're trying to play but is severely limited elsewhere, do that. Be bold with your conviction. The one thing I'll say about Pep Guardiola, who finished third in his first season, he was bold enough to sit there and say, no, I'm right, I know what I'm going to do, and we're just going to sit here and build it, and we're going to have some pain. 
but Eric Ten Hag, like coming off the bat and playing McTominay, yikes! Fucking yikes! Like, if you believe in Martinez as a footballer, play him in midfield. Do that. Do something. Don't bring Fred and McTominay again because it's embarrassing. And the news today of we're going to go and get Rabiot, who is McTominay with a beret. Like the scouting of that club is beyond a joke. Rabiot is also a historic, problematic player. Why would you throw him into the mix? Every club he's been at forces his way out because I think it's still the case. His mom's his agent. I think that is still the case. She just goes to clubs and says, oh, he deserves this massive fat contract. They're like, no. And then she's like, well, it's time for you to find another club. He's literally been forced out of every club by his own mom, for fuck's sake. But pretty hilariously, Pogba... Probably into play Rabio's minutes at Juventus, so they're going to have Rabio now. I also saw an interesting stats thing. Rabio, other than losing the ball, uh, has worse stats in every area from McTominay in terms of like passing, passing accuracy, tackles, how many times he's lost the ball, how many recoveries he's made. So even statistically, uh, I mean, what do you what do you want your midfield to do? What do you want it to do? Like, at the end of the day, McTominay, clearly Ten Hag had said to him, you are useless. You can't do anything. So what I want you to do is run into the box like you're Frank Lampard. And he was useless at that. And I've no idea. what If, you, if you're bringing Rabiot to do that role, there are a million better players in the world to bring in. Millions. I mean, if you want, a, if you want someone who's just going to come in and be a bit of a destroyer with a bit of a better range of passing... Juventus are going to go and spend this money on Leandro Paredes from Paris Saint-Germain, who United could just go and buy now, and he would be a better decision than Rabiot. It is baffling. I just, I just, I think the thing is United as well is even if they make like another massive signing, you just know they won't even play into their benefits. Like you, like you touched on with Sancho, like what happened with Pogba. I mean, I'd even argue right now they're not even playing around Bruno Fernandez's strengths. Because he's not put in a particular position where you'd expect him to flourish and probably not his preferred sort of role. I mean, there's just sort of like, oh, you've got great technical ability, so we're going to ask you to basically but, do all this work in midfield. But field, does he? Not his game. But does he have great technical ability? I, think, oh, I, I, no, yeah, I, but, I admit, the jury's out on him. He certainly doesn't no, seem cause, to be at being in half season or so what, what you would say about him even when he was at Sporting was that and I like I must say when Bruno Fernandes came in I thought he looked like a star but that is be- probably because he came into a United team that was completely disorganised and Bruno thrives in chaos like you watch him play like he'll have a he'll have a ridiculous shot he'll spray passes he's high risk high reward that's who he is my understanding of Ten Hag and what Ten Hag's midfield do is not that my understanding is is more of an Ericsson and what Ericsson does, which is he's a very, as in addition to that ability to play those passes, he's also a tidy footballer. He can keep the ball, that kind of thing. That's not what Bruno is. So you're at this point where you're Man United, where you've got, you've spent all this money on this marquee player, a few, literally like three or four transfer windows ago. And now you're sitting around going, well, I've got to get him in to this system that my manager's playing, but I can't actually see where he would fit in. And it is the same across the board. There's no cohesive thinking at all. I mean, at all. What, touching on what you're saying with Bruno, it even 
points even more to why they need a really solid defensive mid. Because, yes, when Fernandez plays his passive stuff, it comes off. But like any player, I guess they're a luxury player with that ability, there are going to be passes that get intercepted. You need someone that you can trust to at least help win the ball back. You can't pin it entirely on the defensive mid, but you at least want someone who you trust. You don't trust Fred or McTominay to ever win the ball back, do you? So you're playing... You're, like, Ericsson is the same sort of player that he makes some brilliant passes, he carries the ball well, but he will try those passes that... If they come off, they're brilliant and they'll be replayed five five times that day. But if they don't, there's a chance that you get caught on the attack, on the counter-attack. You don't trust those other two guys in midfield to ever win the ball back. And that's the problem. The stuff further up could work, even as it is now. Not no. set up right. No. But it would work fine, but it would work better because at least they'd have a backbone. There's no backbone to this midfield. No, the, this, the problem... The main one of the main problems with this field in addition to that backbone is inability to move the ball through the gears because they have they have got a complete passenger in there, McTominay, who just does not have that range. Which I guess is why that Ten Hag wants Frankie De Jong because the one thing Frankie De Jong can do is move the ball through midfield. But Frankie De Jong thrives best when he's next to someone who's going to stay in that space that he's vacating and is able to destroy. So you're right, Dave. They need that, but they're not going to do that. They're so fixated on Frankie de Jong and this name signing that they're not addressing the raft of other problems in that mm-hmm. but you say that the, you say it could work further, further at the pitch it can't work further up the pitch because they do not they fundamentally do not understand how to put their players into the best position right. to succeed this, mean- before they buy anyone and Declan Rice is a bad example because I firmly believe he would improve almost any team. Yeah. Before they buy anyone, they have to sit down as a football club and they have to come up with a vision. They have to come up with an idea of what they want to do and they have to play to that. Because we've we've what we've seen over the last like ten years or so is you look at someone like Chelsea and United, they buy a scattergun approach, they don't have a consistent holistic idea, and they have to throw continuous money at it. Now Chelsea are better at it than United, but Chelsea are not better at it. Chelsea are not better at recruitment or winning than Liverpool or City. These people who know what they want to be and say what you want about them always throwing money at Pep Guardiola. Years and years ago, they said, right, we're going to set up so Pep Guardiola could be a successor and we're going to attract him. And everything they do plays into that vision. And it's the same with Liverpool. And if you want to catch those two clubs, you have to do that at your football clubs. And Man United have to do. It doesn't matter this transfer window now. You're in for some pain. What you've got to do is have that pain and think about the next thing. But I just don't believe the Glazers care enough about the football club to to make those hard to make those hard successes, successes, those hard decisions, and actually put in the work. I just don't believe they do. So we can sit here and say they need player X, they need player Y, and we would be completely right. But none of that matters because they're not going unless they have the foundations to for success. Because at the at the rest of it, it's just window dressing. We're just asking people to get dressed up in different clothes and go out and do the same thing. I mean, you know what Arsenal did. I would say they've bought players that certainly Arteta fits how Arteta wants to play. Like they bought, they filled some gaps last year, and it obviously helped us, and we were better. And they filled some more gaps this year. It's clearly a more obviously they're not. It's a more like um, targeted approach. I would I would say like it, it can't be that hard but, but to look at gaps that you have to that's fill. It. That's Edu and Arteta talking yeah. and yeah. working together. Yeah. And this is the this is the whole idea of 
I mean, you, you look at what Chelsea, you look at what Chelsea are trying to do now in the fact that they are trying to hire a sporting director. They want Michael Edwards, but at the moment they're saying to they're saying to Tuchel, look, Tuchel, you're going to be here for a while, so we're going to build to what you want to do. And whether or not that's right, we will see. But they're building with an idea in mind. Whereas United, do we really believe, really heart of hearts believe that Eric Ten Hag's football would be improved with Arnautovic? It, it is embarrassing because he is. I mean, he's never been this. He's never played in a system like this. Thrived on a you system. You know what this is based also, on? It's based on him playing for twenty under McLaren and Ten Hag like twelve years ago. That's why they want him. The, the and it's similar to similar to Ericsson. They're, they're playing him up front because he played there for like the Ajax academy. Yeah. When he was like seventeen. It's baffling. The thing, the oh, thing is for me is like, Arnautovic again. Guy's problematic. He forced himself out yeah. of clubs. He's not someone you want to throw into this mix. A racist like, too. He's well, right. He's also it's like, a racist. It's like throwing petrol at a fire. But also, one last thing before we really just talk about United for another hour. This whole De Jong pursuit is just. It's embarrassing. The guys, if what's in the press is true, he'd rather go to court in the, if so he doesn't have to leave if where he's leaving is Man United. Why are you still pursuing him? If you get him over the line, he doesn't want to be there. All he's going to do is try and force him a move to another Prem team, surely. Like, oh. he does not want to be there. Like, how embarrassing. You land this guy if you land him. That all summer has been saying, I don't want to go to you. I don't want to go to you. The only thing that's making him go is because Barcelona need money. That is not motive to press ahead with signing a footballer. It's not just that either. If they get him, not only does he not want to be there, he's still going to be dealing with all this Barcelona stuff. He's probably, there's going to be, I don't know, court hearings, whatnot. Yeah. All this stuff's going to be going on. He's probably going to be flying back to Barcelona every other week to try and sort this stuff out, which would also not be right. I mean, just buying him is also, they need two midfielders. Yeah, they need a at whole least one wide man and a striker, which is going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of millions. Uh, no, but, again, with the right back thing, it's like Juan Bissaka has spent 50 million on is the total wrong profile for Man U right back anyway. So now we're playing Diego Dello, who's more attacking in the hope it helps, and he just clearly isn't good enough for Man United. People like to be optimistic because at least he tries to press forward and like Juan Bissaka. He's just not good enough. Well, how many of these players it's that they played today good are good enough to play for Man United? Yeah, that's the thing. Oh. And this, honestly, when you say about club philosophy, I think that club philosophy is try and sign some marquee signings, just keep the fans happy. There's no idea of where these marquee signings go. It's just if you sign a big name or someone for a big fee, it ticks over and you're like, oh, Man United still have pulling power. They have no clue where these Great. players and once they get them in... Three, three things there, because you raised three interesting points. Back to De Jong for a second. The De Jong pursuit is is not good. And I think the fact that the fact that the briefing has been... Yes, he wants... Every Dutch player wants to play for Barcelona. You just have to accept that. That's their dream clubs. And I feel for Frankie De Jong that he's being extorted out of his dream club. And I do think he probably will leave. Um, but if the report... If you're United and the reporting is that he considers Champions League football a sticking point... Move on, move yep. on, because he's if he's going to leave and he ends up at and he, and one of the Champions League clubs. I mean, the room is Chelsea, isn't it? Come in and buy him. That's fine. And as for how well he'd play, he's probably going to play a lot better at one of these clubs that has got a bit more stability 
in terms of what they're doing as a football club than he will do at your club anyway. Because he would come in at United and think of the pressure to come in at United yeah, Savior. That is a that's a horrible gonna be a horrible environment for him. The second thing is goes back to this recruitment idea and Wan Bissak is the perfect example. When he signed they boasted that they looked at thousands of right backs and chose him. Yeah. That yeah, is just that today, so. the most shocking indictment of what they're doing as a football club. And then thirdly, Dave, back to your point. I agree. I think they're all about Galacticos. They're all about yeah. that scattergun approach. Do you know who was about Galacticos? Real Madrid. Do you know who's no longer about Galacticos? Real oh. Madrid. Look at Real Madrid's transfer strategy in the last couple of years. They've re- they're rejuvenating their team massively, still winning. And yeah, they've still got that spine, but like you look at their midfield for the future, Valverde, too many, Camavinga. Now these aren't cheap players, but they're players signed with an idea for doing stuff. They're not big name players, and they're going to do that, and then they're going to go and get the the Mbappe that's the icing on the cape, for example. That's the way you could do a Galactico thing, but United aren't even doing that. United are just walking over and faffing about. I genuinely think the if United, United's sort of how they're going to end up getting was they the Glazers were probably happy a few years ago where finish fourth one season, finish fifth next season, finish fourth one season, finish fifth next season. And like the, every time they do fourth, it's a bit of minimal investment. But the Premier League is the hardest league to win now. The resources are off the scale. If you want to win, you've got to spend. And I, I, I don't understand why you would have a club like Man United See the financial opportunity that that has, the potential that has to be the biggest brand in world football. Of all the English clubs, United has the potential to be the brand the size of Real Madrid, for example. And you're not spending the money to make them success because going to, you have a look at basketball. The Bulls had six years of success. Well, it was with a bit in the middle. Six years of success. And they are now one of the biggest franchises in the NBA. Success brings you money even if you're unsuccessful at the other times. But the further you get away from it, the less people care. United, if they want to be the brand that they want to be, which is in the owner's benefit, they've got to spend money. So for the life of me, if you're not willing to do this, if you're not willing to put in the hard work, get out from your own perspective. Get out. Stop doing it. Sell it. Move on. Yeah, could not agree more. Just... Just lastly say as well that the environment they've created with these these signings makes it even harder for any manager coming in. Like imagine imagine you you train these guys for a month pre-season. You think actually Sancho isn't really fitting into my system. Fred Fred spent like cost like 50, 60 million. Sancho was 70 million. There's no way there's going to be some pressure from the board that you give those guys a chance because they spent so much money on them. Surely. Well, they've got to be like, you've got to get, like, Solskjaer didn't get the best out of him, neither did Ranjik. We want you to. And you could watch him play and be like, he just isn't really going to well, fit what well, I want on this team. But this, I'm going to have to play him now because he's spent all that money on him. This is the Chelsea problem all over. This is exactly what happens with Chelsea. Like this is exactly what's happened with them for years gone by, and you ended up with having Ross Barkley and Batshuayi in their in their um, preseason for the seventh year running. The difference is with Chelsea is that they've managed to win some stuff along the way, and they got one or two, they got two transfers really right in Kante and Hazard, and then were lucky enough that their academy was brilliant and was producing stuff. That's the only reason that they've remained successful despite their haphazard recruitment. United haven't got that, and. This is how bad it goes when you don't have a clear plan. So they, if they're willing to, if they're going to stick this out, they have to get a plan, and they have to get a plan right now. 
they don't buy an average for nine million. I mean, they've been doing stuff like that for years, though. Like look, Falcao, Zlatan, Igalo, all these over the hill strikers. Cavani. If you're if you're Man United and your desire and your desire to buy a player is based on the fact that he's nine million and a cheap option, you should not be hold. You should not have the keys to Man United. You I shouldn't mean, have the keys. You've got to think the reason they're looking at Rabiot is because he's probably going to cost them nothing or next to nothing, as well. <sighs> Football's an expensive game. I've Either push, either cash your chips in or get out is what I'd say to them. Like, well, yeah, cause the, the people making the decisions are probably looking at the, the team saying, you know, Sancho was what, 80 million, whatever. Um, they're looking at the value of the, the, that was paid for these players rather than the fit for the system and who these players actually are now, which is not anything worth the monetary value paid for them. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Look, we gave we put them sixth, and I think they have enough in the squad to finish on to finish sixth. But I could I I, I don't think it's a given they finish sixth. No. What I'm saying. And uh, some, they, are they playing in Europe anywhere or no? Don't know. It's the honest answer. Um, they are in the Europa, aren't they? But are here's they? yeah. Here, they here's them. what here's what needs to happen. Like if you're Man United, like you've got to make a decision now. And you've just got to think about what you want your football club to be, the way you want your football club to play. And then you've got to believe in that vision and move towards it. And you've just got to do everything you can in your power to do that. This was the chance to do this, though. They got Ten Hag in early. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I agree, Ross. They got him in early. And you think that's probably why there was optimism. Because they, yeah, they got him in early. Plenty of time to clear some players out, get some players in. Obviously, he's targeted players that he wants. And yeah, you could talk about that, but I just feel like this is another season gone already because they, they've just not, they can't fix anything now, really. It's too late. Well, but... and I think, uh, look, there's a month in the transfer window left, Pratt's almost, well, three weeks. So there's time to get players in. But how much are they going to spend? Like, it's exactly. like 500 million that they need to spend wow. on this. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. There's, I'm not disputing that they can't do it, but there is, there is time to yeah. do something. Other clubs are going to put, other clubs are going to, do surgery to their squads but the difference is those other clubs are identifying players that work in their systems i cannot and stress enough how bad the idea the ideas of rabio and anatovic are uh, i just think that shows you that that just is that any confidence you have that is gone after seeing that because it's clear that they don't know what they need i mean a few seasons back they literally took ig harlow on loan didn't they i mean even then there was warning signs of their weird transfer policy of just taking a someone because they could fill a hole is weird but like what, what were they doing with Ronaldo what how are they not sat down with him early and said you know what's going to be required of him whatever to fit like does he want in or does he want out find out early and try and sort that because then that's caused another problem for them because I guess they were entirely relying on him and clearly he doesn't want to be there. But that just should have been sorted early. With this, with a conversation, I feel like you could start to sort that out as soon as he's come in. And find out early if he wants to leave. And again, maybe they could have got rid of him if months ago they find out he doesn't want to be there. But I don't know. Because he must have had some inkling that he didn't want to be there this year. 
before he drops drops it on them that he doesn't want to play for them. Just, just, I just all so bad. I just go back to the whoever this person is. I won't just be one person. And the, the failing at United is institutional, so it's not just on the football people. But going back to that idea of scouting, they hire people to look at every single player in the world, practically, probably. And really scout them, really look at them, really identify the right people. And the names they've come out with are Anadovic and Rabia. But are we worried about Ten Hag if it, these are the players that he wants as well? Yes, I am. Yes. Look, I mean, what are people. Look, I'm, Ten Hag I'm, is probably. I, I, we're probably going to get bitten after saying this. He's probably going to be really good. Yeah. But at the end of the day. His Ajax team in his one run to the semi-final was really impressive. But it was full of once-in-a-lifetime players who've gone on to do other things. Right? Yeah. yeah. Him playing Grunigan every week, for example, is, it is a step up. Like, and just because he has a few of those titles, the Dutch league titles doesn't necessarily mean that his football is going to translate. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm just saying is, does he know what is required to do well in in leagues other than the one that he specialised in? That's a question. But that's a question you have whenever a foreign coach comes to the Premier League or, whether, or whenever a new coach comes to the Premier League, irrespective of what nation they're from. The thing is, Ajax, though, he also had a lot of academy players who have probably been taught yeah. to play that way from when they're in that's the academy. True. That's true, so there's less adaption. Yeah. I mean, one thing as well, and making it no secret, he wants to target his old club. They're, they're not going to roll over and give him the players for, for lesser fees, are they? I mean, look, to be honest, how many players are good from the Dutch league in the Prem? There have been some great success stories, but on the whole, there's been some horror, horror flops. Look. Hasn't there? Look, like, the, even in recent years, like they're, they're still negotiating, they're still negotiating with that about Anthony for eighty million. That tells you that everything. That, to, that tells you everything you need to know about where United are right now. In that, not enough smart football people are involved in these decision-making yep, things. Hundred percent. Like, and I go back to I go back to Chelsea. In that, it's probably not a great thing that there is not another person being a different voice in the room to Tuchel. You need that other voice. You need those people who challenge you. Look at Pep. No, look at Klopp. One of the things that Klopp is so successful with, makes him so successful, is his number two and him used to argue. They used to challenge each other. I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Linders? Pep Linders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to challenge each other. And it's what helped bring them on another level. And that you need you need those conversations. Like It can't just be down to Ten Hag, is what I'm saying, to recruit these players. It has to be down to a robust structure that is put into place and these and buys players and identifies players in accordance with the vision you have for your football club, the way you want to play, and that has to feed down from the first team to the teams to all of the teams below you. And it's a really hard thing to do, but if any club in the world football has the resources to do it, it's Man United. There's no excuse for Man United not to do it. If you if if you told me like Brighton and Hove Albion, for example, didn't do it. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. But there's just no excuse for the biggest club in England not to do it. Embarrassing. And on that bombshell, Joel Linton report. Who wants to do it in Mike Savage? Go on, Ross. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, well, I'm not sure what rating exactly he's been given. I'm sure Mike usually puts that out there. 
Um, but he, he had one great chance, um, which he pulled just horribly wide. Just horribly wide. Like, I feel reasonably confident that I could have at least put that on target if it was me play. And he did um, have a nice pullback, which set up uh, Wilson's goal, which was a great finish, too, to be fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, all in all, I'd say... Pretty decent week for Joel. I have some stats to add to the Joel Linton report. Oh, it's Dave's stats. Is that what I put in the chat? Uh, that's, that's, yeah. It might be. Get it up there. I feel like it's worth mentioning if we're going to do a report. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Start of the I put it in there and I couldn't even do so, it. So, yeah, he had 73 touches, 100% accuracy with crosses, 100% accuracy long balls, 100% of his tackles were won, 91% passing accuracy, 80% successful dribbles. <laughs> He won eight ground duels, made five recoveries, what created man. three chances and got an assist. I mean, that is a pretty all-round midfield display. What a week for Mike to miss the Joe Linton report. Well. I know. He, he got everything else fucking right. <laughs> how, lads, I'm sure you'll listen to this, but how long until we start shoehorning in that Joe Linton is the player that Man United need to find? <laughs> I'll tell you what, what a story that is about the <laughs> Yeah, but they'd buy Joel Linton. And they play, play, play him at left wing or something. That's what they do. Clowns. Um, Wazzock of the week. Jurgen um, Klopp? No. Pitch? No, look. Jurgen Klopp's dry pitch comments, which completely distracted from the fact that he said these team had played shit, was an absolute masterclass. And everyone on Twitter and the media was like, oh, he said the pitch is dry. I was like, he's just got exactly what you wanted. You, you think, I used to hate Klopp's comments like this, but I actually think they're just genius at this point. If you listen to them, he ruins like three or four of his own players sometimes. And it's like, oh, but the sun got in Van Dyke's eye and then his ponytail got in Matip's face at the same time. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> that after... After Van Dyke got um, yeah, got skilled, people started calling him Virgil Van Disney. I love that. Now, that yeah. made me laugh. I must admit, it did make me laugh. Super. The first time, I'm sorry, not like 25,000 of a time. Um, Wazzock of the week, I think, has to be Yerry Mina. Just because I came across him this week and that guy. I mean, good luck. D- D- you mean he came across him this week? He's been doing this horror stuff for like six seasons. <laughs> he just. He just he has made a career out of just, like that. Like, he, managed, he managed career. to get booked for. The, I didn't know he was playing until he got booked for descent for the penalty. And then I was just like, <laughs> yeah, and then like, and then he just disappeared again. But it was stupid descent too. He's like yeah. trying to go up to the goalie like repeatedly, I'm and con- he just won't go away. I'm convinced they booked him. I'm convinced they like he. I'm convinced that like, he wasn't actually playing, but he came on the pitch, was booked, and then left. <laughs> like, uh, this is this is uh, this is my. Um, Submission to football conspiracies on uh, Twitter, which mm-hmm. was a, which was a great account while it was short-lived. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we did two hours for you last week, and this week we were trying to keep it shorter. We <laughs> failed drastically. Well, um, only covering half the games too. You'll have to see. It. No, but we've covered all the important ones. You really want to hear us talk about Wolves, Leeds, Brentford, Leicester, like Nottingham Forest. Or... Actually. Actually, we should have talked about Brentford Leicester because Brentford Leicester's got my favourite kind of like subgenre in the transfer window, which is player hasn't moved but could still move. So they're like, oh, let's assess his body language. And they, all these people are saying, oh, for fun, I'm straight down the tunnel. And I'm going, oh, they just bottled a 2 0 lead. Is he supposed to be jumping with you? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want him to do? They're like, oh, his head's not gone. His head's not gone. His, his head wasn't in the game. I'm like, 
believe clearly the best centre half on the pitch. So I don't really know what's going on here. Bloody Chelsea fans trying to look into everything like that. Priley and national treasure. Shocking. Um, Love that, that shout out for me. That's a hell of a pull. They're bringing national treasure back, by the way. But without I know, I'm looking Cage, forward to it. Without Nick yeah. No, that's tough, though. That's tough. Look, I've said it many a time. There's no national treasure without Nick Cage. Talk about it all the time. Uh, national treasure. A couple of great films. Uh, one great film. <laughs> uh, in the media, right. Let's move on because Christ will be here for hours. <laughs> we have already been here for hours. Um, Dave, if the people want to keep up with you, where can they do that? Uh, it's on Twitter at Joel Linton Red Devil Eight. It's actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's at Dave Harris underscore forty four. Um, but of course, if you want to hear more about Dave, just drive to the coast and listen for the howling of the wind. It's more um, Ross, if the people want to follow you, where can they follow you? Uh, at Ross underscore bird 14 on Twitter. Yeah, don't forget to tag Ross in your tweets to Cafe Rouge with the hashtag Ross for Rouge because we're trying to get him a steak frites <laughs> and get ourselves a uh, sponsorship. sponsorship. Speaking of sponsorships, if you want to send us any uh, sponsorships, you can do so at inandaroundpod at gmail.com. I'm looking for one that isn't for deluxe weed grinders, please. <laughs> Um, and in the meantime, if you want to talk to me, I'll you can do so at World 17 but please don't please instead follow us on all the socials, including Vivo at In and Around Pod. Who wants to do Mike's bit at the end of the pod? Sayonara. No, wait, no, no, you're right, you're going to do it. Okay, I want to say. And until next time, Ross. Sayonara. Fucking nailed it.